You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1965th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 8th of February 2024. The editor of this edition is Sheila Franklin, the producer is Peter Rayson and your readers are Neil Keeley and Sue Cunningham-Snell. We also must mention our processing team who do work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. And now we commence as usual with our headlines and I go over to Neil. Suffolk has the fifth lowest level of crime nationally. Cancer charity calls for more of us to get checked. Historic archives will be available on demand. Tributes pour in for Private Pike. Suffolk is one of the top five safest counties in England and Wales, according to new figures from the Office of National Statistics. Based on the figures, Suffolk Constabulary is ranked fifth for the lowest levels of recorded crime in the country. The total recorded crime, covering the 12 months to the end of September 2023, show that there were 62.4 crimes per 1,000 people, a decrease of 9.2% compared with the previous 12 months. From October 22 to September 23, domestic burglary, robbery, theft, stalking and harassment, vehicle crime, knife crime and drug offending all saw drops in recorded crimes compared with the previous 12-month period. However, there was a rise in the possession of weapons, public order offences, along with business burglary, and there was a 20% rise in shoplifting. Three years ago, Suffolk was in 13th position in terms of its crime levels. Deputy Chief Constable Rob Jones said, It is important to make clear that for the victim of every crime committed, they will be experiencing personal distress, upset and trauma. If you have been the victim of crime, my sympathies are with you, and we remain determined to give a high level of service to victims. That said, these figures do show a positive direction of travel for the force. The figures demonstrate an affirmation of how safe we are as a county, and are a mark of how we continue to improve, to work hard, to keep the people of Suffolk safe, and to solve crime and catch criminals. DCC Jones added, Our analysis does show the majority of knife-related, weapon and violent crime is being committed by those known to one another, and often those previously known to the police, maybe through drug activity. Meanwhile, the shoplifting figure is not something I'm surprised at, with the cost of living still a big issue and concern for many people. However, it is a crime, whatever the value of the item stolen, and can result in a criminal conviction, which can have a serious impact on someone's life. We understand this behaviour is simply unacceptable, as it ultimately can threaten the future of the business affected. The Chief Executive of Cancer Support Suffolk, Mark Murphy, has sent a get-well message to the King after the news that he is being treated for the condition. Mr Murphy, who was awarded the MBE for his contribution to local radio in Suffolk in 2020, took over the helm of the charity last year and oversaw its relaunch just last week. He said... The news about the King's cancer diagnosis has come as a shock to all of us, but it is something one in two of us will encounter ourselves. All of us at Cancer Support Suffolk wish His Majesty a speedy recovery and send our best wishes to him and the royal family. With cancer, the most important thing is to get an early diagnosis. 
Survival rates are improving all the time, and treatments are much more targeted than ever before. The fact the king has made his diagnosis public is a good thing. It means we're all talking about cancer, and that can only be good. The more we talk about it, the better. Sadly, in Suffolk, 25% of us don't attend our screening appointments, and that really must change. Hopefully, with the king going public, more of us will look out for the signs in our own bodies. We all know our own bodies, and if something isn't right, then go to your GP. The charity was founded as Cancer Campaign in Suffolk in 1998 and raised money to develop the equipment, the John LaVey Information Centre at Wolverston Unit at Ipswich Hospital. It now also has a centre in the heart of Ipswich, in the historic building opposite the entrance to Christchurch Park. Last week it was formally relaunched with a new name, which reflects its work in helping those with cancer and their families, as well as campaigning to improve awareness and encouraging more people to attend screening they may be invited to. <coughs> At a Suffolk County Council Cabinet meeting on Tuesday the 30th of January, councillors were told West Suffolk Archives' historic documents would be available on demand at The Hold, Ipswich, following concerns about accessibility. Councillor Bobby Bennett, Cabinet Member for Equality and Communities, said that the Council would be reviewing The Hold's opening hours, transport links and parking facilities. She added that plans were also underway to publish many of the most popular records online by early 2025. The Berry Branch closure plan was announced alongside that in Lowestoft in a bid to save around £140,000 a year as part of the County Council's £64.7 million budget cuts. Keeping the West Suffolk archives in Berry would require a £5 million investment to keep the building fit for purpose. Suffolk County Councillor Robert Everett told the Berry Free Press this week had West Suffolk Council gone ahead and built the Western Way hub, which would have housed the documents, we wouldn't be looking at what we're doing now. West Suffolk Council have now suggested they could put the archives in the current West Suffolk House, but they will have to convince Suffolk County Council that it is worth spending money. <coughs> I do believe the archives should stay in Bury, because that is exactly what we were trying to do in the first place. Suffolk County Councillor Becky Hopfensberger said, I totally value the importance of maintaining historic records, particularly those which have been bequeathed to Bury, and I believe there is value in having conversations about the future of these collections. Paul Derrick, head of news at the Bury Free Press, said, The plan to close the West Suffolk Archives branch has galvanised residents, historians and community leaders around one simple message, save our history. They all share the same refrain, our historic records should stay in Berries and Edmonds. It is a growing chorus which looks to only get louder should and should be heard by the county's decision makers. You can contact your county councillor to make your views known or the Berry Society at www.berrysociety.com. Ian Lavender, best known for playing Private Frank Pike in classic comedy series Dad's Army, has died at the age of 77. The Birmingham-born actor who lived in Woolpit near Bury St Edmunds and was the last remaining main cast member from the wartime set BBC show died on February the 2nd. He is known for playing the hapless Pike who frequently had run-ins with Captain George Mannering, Arthur Lowe, calling him a stupid boy and who was looked after by Sergeant Arthur Wilson, John Le Messerier. Pike the youngest member of the Home Guard troop and a bank clerk would often refer to Wilson as Uncle Arthur as he was in a relationship with his overprotective mother, Mavis Pike, by Janet Davies. Mr Lavender also played Derek Harkinson, 
a gay friend of Pauline Fowler, Wendy Richard, in BBC One soap EastEnder from 2001 to 2005. He returned to Walford in 2016, but left in 2017, after he became ill with sepsis, having previously battled cancer and a heart attack. In 2006, Mr Lavender hailed staff at the West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds, who cared for him when he suffered a heart attack two years before. Opening its 3.5 million refurbished radiology department, he said, It's an honour and privilege to be here, as I have been treated by this hospital several times. It's a nice to enter the X-ray unit standing up rather than lying flat on my back in a bed. It is a privilege to be able to give something back to a hospital who gave me my life back. The same year he launched the annual Suffolk Historic Churches Trust, sponsored by Cride, to raise money for Suffolk's churches and chapels, and revealed it was local church that convinced him to move to Woolpit. And more recently, in 2019, Mr Lavender unveiled a £70,000 play area in Church Road, Woolpit, before children from Woolpit Primary School became the first youngsters to try out the new equipment. Andrew Clark, former arts editor of the East Anglian Daily Times, said, Ian Lavender was a wonderful long-term Suffolk resident, who, while being a famous face, took the time and trouble to fully integrate himself into local life. He was a long-term resident of Woolpit, near Bury St Edmunds, and most years took part in the annual fundraising bike ride for the Suffolk Historic Churches Trust. He also had close connections with the Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds during the tenure of artistic director Colin Blomino who oversaw the renovation of the theatre, which saw the building return to its Georgian layout. Now we move on to general news, and this is the first item. Taxi fares in a Suffolk district could go up, but some drivers have still been left with concerns. The proposed changes were discussed and approved for consultation on Monday evening by members of West Suffolk Council's Licensing and Regulatory Committee. If approved, they would see prices increase across the board for the first time since August 22, with the initial mile costing 8% more. Although drivers have welcomed the increase, they have raised concerns over the initial price being too high. Mark Goodchild, a driver who spoke at the meeting, said, You will have many customers accusing you of ripping them off. You are going to have arguments before you've even left the rank. The new fares would see trips under a mile go for the initial price of £5.40 between 6am and midnight, that's tariff 1, £8.10 between midnight and 6am, that's tariff 2, and £10.80 for the whole day during Christmas and New Year. Tariffs 4, 5 and 6, which relate to trips where there are five or more passengers during the same time periods, would also see similar increases. Initially, trade suggestions were made to hike the initial one-mile tariff by a lower amount and increase it by a higher rate per subsequent mile. After the meeting, several drivers said the changes would not only present a smaller increase than they had hoped for, but also an increased safety risk, particularly during nightly shifts. After the meeting, one driver said, Some people will only see the initial price and be mad, even if it then doesn't go up that much after. There have even been drivers who have been held at knife point. A consultation on the changes is set to start on February the 5th and run until February the 26th, with metres to be updated from March, should it be approved. 
The opening date for a cinema chain's first branch in Suffolk has been confirmed. Everyman Cinema is due to open inside the former Debenhams in store in Bury St Edmunds Arc Shopping Centre. The venue will have three cinema screens, made up of 228 seats, and aims to bring a luxurious cinema experience in the county for the first time. Film lovers will be able to enjoy sofas and armchairs in the state-of-the-art theatre, with an extensive food and drink offering also available. People will be able to order hand-stretched pizzas and small treats straight to their seats or enjoy them at the bar. A range of cocktails, wine, beer and non-alcoholic drinks will also be on offer for people to enjoy. It was confirmed last month it would be opening in February, with an opening date now confirmed for February the 14th. As part of its opening, the chain is offering guests the opportunity to book a complimentary seat at the various screenings. Plans for the cinema to open in Bury St Edmunds were first given the go-ahead in August 2022. The nearest Everyman Cinema is currently based in Chelmsford in Essex. It comes ahead of the unveiling of the highly anticipated fast fashion retailer Primark in the same building. The clothing shop will open its doors on the first two floors of the former Debenhams, which has been shut since May 2021, as the department store chain closed its shops across the country including in Ipswich. Primark initially hoped to open towards the end of 2023, but confirmed in December it would be unveiling its new store in March. An exact opening date is yet to be confirmed. A third unit could still open inside the huge venue. London-based property agent Brazia Freeth is advertising a long-term lease on a 10,850-square-foot site adjacent to the cinema. It would cost £125,000 per year. There is a warning to be vigilant after a Suffolk homeowner received a call from a scammer claiming to be from the council. Suffolk Trading Standards said the caller advised the homeowner could have adaptations made to their home once a fee was paid. It is alleged that the caller claimed to be from Suffolk County Council and gave a Gmail address. A spokesman for Suffolk Trading Standards said, Impersonation scams occur when the victim is persuaded to make a payment to a criminal claiming to be from a trusted organisation. As with any telephone call that you receive out of the blue, we urge you to be vigilant and take a moment to stop and think, especially if you receive a request over the phone or email to make a payment from someone claiming to be from a trusted organisation. If you are in any doubt, contact the company or organisation directly using an email or phone number from their website. Scams can be reported to the authority via Citizens Advice Consumer Service on 0808 223 and there will be a reminder of that number at the end of the broadcast. Plans for a new drive through restaurant, coffee shop and petrol station off the A14 in Elmswell have been given the green light. A planning appeal for EG, formerly Euro Garages Limited, proposals for land off Kiln Lane adjacent to the driver and vehicle standard agency site was allowed and approved has been granted. The plan submitted in 2021 were previously refused by Mid Suffolk District Council in February 2023. However, the applicant had already lodged an appeal on the grounds of the Council's earlier failure to decide the application within the prescribed period. Peter Dow, Elmswell Parish Council Clerk, said, This flies in the face of the wishes of the Woolpit and Elmswell Parish Councils. 
allowing the appeal, Planning Inspector A. Viviers said, the main issue surrounding the plans was the effect of the proposed development on the highway safety, but they were satisfied that a safe and suitable egress would be achieved. The applicant was awarded partial costs. A Thetford museum gifted to the town by the son of a Maharaja a hundred years ago said it will use nearly £200,000 from the National Lottery to spread the story of the family to an even wider audience. It has been announced that the ancient house museum in Whitehart Street, which is in its centenary year, has been awarded £198,059 by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Prince Frederick Dulip Singh, son of Maharaja Dulip Singh, who was the last Sikh ruler of the Punjab, purchased the rare timbered Tudor house and gifted it to Thetfordians as a public museum charity with the council as trustee, and it opened on December the 11th, 1924. Now the historic site hopes, with the new funds, to tell the story of the Dulip Singh family who lived in nearby Elvedon Hall in much greater detail. Oliver Bone, the museum's curator, said, I am absolutely delighted that our brilliant funders should wish to support our 100th birthday commemorations and our celebration of the founder of the museum, Prince Frederick Dulip Singh, and his fascinating family. <coughs> the funding from the National Lottery Heritage Fund and others means that we can share these stories with audiences in a variety of ways including exhibitions, family activities, talks and refreshed displays. It's a fantastic, fantastic opportunity, a privilege and also a responsibility to do a good job. I'm looking forward to working with our excellent team on this. We're going to be busy over the next few years making it happen. Existing displays of the site have focused solely on the Maharaja, a favourite of Queen Victoria in the past, but the museum now wants to show the fascinating and important stories of the wider family. This not only includes the prince, but also his sisters, Princesses Sophia and Catherine Dulip Singh, the former being a key figure in the UK suffragette movement, and both pioneers of women's political and private autonomy. Plans for the two-year project will also such, see such things as a treasury-style display of Anglo-Punjabi artefacts, a model of Elvedon Hall, a loan of a portrait of Dulip Singh, displays about the family's contributions and activism to suffrage, an interactive touchscreen, and personal items such as the Maharaja's walking stick given to him by King Edward VII, Coming to the museum. Residents in a Suffolk new build estate are concerned that plans to extend a sand quarry within metres of their homes will pose a threat to public health. A resident on the 150 strong Crest Milkinson estate in Elmswell near Stowmarket has slammed the controversial expansion plans and claims the developer them from the residents looking to move in. Research suggests quarries release invisible dust particles that cause silicosis, a progressive incurable lung disease, and long-term exposure is also linked to heart disease, stroke, infertility and pregnancy complications. The plans were first approved by Suffolk County Council in 2009 with a planning application that included a proposed expansion to Agmax Transport's Lawn Farm Quarry. The newest application, submitted in December, seeks to extend the site for the extraction, processing, sale and distribution of sand and gravel. The resident, who wishes to remain anonymous, said, We had absolutely no idea when we moved in two years ago. We could see the quarry from the distance, and when we asked Crest Nilkinson about the quarry, we were told there were no plans on an extension. 
There is extensive research into the health implication of sand quarries. They release particles which cause health conditions such as COPD, lung disease, asthma. I have a one-year-old. If I had been aware of this in the first place, I would not have had him exposed to this. She added that she had paid for a family home, and it is now worth the price they paid for it. We are stuck in a catch-22. Who is going to move here knowingly? If the application is approved, the quarry will come within 82 metres of our house. The current security at the site is dire. You can just walk onto the quarry currently, and it's petrifying that it will be within 80 metres of a residential area where children live and could potentially walk onto it. Crest Nicholson, Suffolk County Council and Agmax Transport Limited were all contacted for comment, but none were received. A new, <coughs> excuse me, a new four-hour parking charge could be introduced and a nighttime tariff scrapped in Bury St Edmunds. West Suffolk Council's cabinet will discuss its budget for 2024-25 on Tuesday, including changes to parking following requests from businesses and visitors. The first change would see a new four-hour stay charge for the ARC short-stay car park in Bury. It follows calls from our Bury St Edmunds Business Improvement District and others for a tariff to allow people to stay longer in the car park. The current tariffs of £3 for two hours and £4 for three hours would remain as they are, but a new tariff of £6 for four hours would be introduced. Councillors are also considering simplifying night-time charges. Certain car parks in Bury St Edmunds, most of them classed as short-stay, include an evening charge of £1 from 6pm. If someone parks earlier and plans to stay beyond 6pm, they have to add a £1 onto the charge. Under the new proposals, the nighttime charge will be scrapped and existing daytime tariffs will be extended until 8pm, after which there will be no charge. Investigations are ongoing into the source of water which could have contributed to major flooding along a crucial Bury St Edmunds road last month. Combien Way reopened late on Thursday, following nearly four weeks of flood-related closure, after thousands of gallons of water were pumped from the site during priority works to reopen the road. This week, Suffolk Highway said there was evidence of water still coming up through the eastern side of the road. We have engaged with Anglian Water and they have run tests on site and confirmed their pipe is intact, so investigations into the source of the water are ongoing, said a spokesman. Suffolk County Council is carrying out a Section 19 investigation an independent review following a severe flood event into the area to help provide context on what happened and recommend how to manage the flood risk in the future. Once this is completed, we will have a better idea on a longer-term plan, said the spokesman. Extensive works on the Compiem Way drainage system and pumps were carried out by Suffolk Highways in April. When asked why these did not work, the spokesman said they likely failed as a result of Storm Babette in October and the unprecedented amount of debris and silt deposited in this location. We are going to implement a more regular maintenance regime to maintain the pumps in this area, said the spokesman. Meanwhile, repairs on roads damaged as a result of heavy usage during the Compian Way closure are scheduled. Parents with children at a Suffolk school, which has called in Britain's strictest head teacher, say they have considered taking their children out of the school due to army-like behaviour. Barry Smith, known for his unconventional teaching methods, has been working in a coaching role to support Stowe Upland High School. The school, which is part of the John Milton Academy Trust, 
received a requires improvement Ofsted rating in December, after an inspection last January found that behaviour issues were not consistently addressed. Parents have said children have been told that they should go into school, even if they were ill, for staff to make the decision whether they were healthy or not, and a militant approach towards pupil-staff interactions. Parent Tony Wasag said that children were told in an assembly that they would have to say good morning to every member of the staff they walked past, shake hands and give eye contact. <coughs> what about children with special educational needs who can't do this, Ms Wasag said. Marcus Green, another concerned parent at the school, added, This is not the way to tackle behaviour issues. They need to work out how to improve the school. I feel really worried. I debated taking my son out of the school. We want to give them the best possible education, and there's someone treating them like they are in the army. A spokesperson for the John Milton Academy Trust said that there have been no changes to school policy on illness. Sean Common, Interim Chief Executive of the John Milton Academy Trust, said... The Trust are aware of concerns surrounding the work at So Upland High School to address behaviour and create a polite and welcoming environment for learning. In particular, concerns have been raised over how this programme of improvement will affect our students with special educational needs and disabilities. That's known as SEND. The school is taking great care to ensure students with SEND are not disrupted by our efforts to improve the school and will instead benefit greatly from the calm and polite learning environment we look to foster. We take our responsibility to care for our SEND students extremely seriously and would always make appropriate concessions regarding behaviour. We have already seen improvements in student behaviour across the school and are confident we will continue to see the benefits as our work continues. A hospital leader has spoken of her shock after receiving a top award from the Chief Midwifery Officer, recognising her relentless drive in enhancing the careers of maternity support workers. Kate Brintworth, Chief Midwifery Officer for England, presented Theresa Lancaster, Education and Practice Development Lead for Maternity Support Workers, the MSWSs, with her award certificate and badge during a visit to West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds. Theresa, who lives near Bury St Edmunds, was nominated by colleagues in the maternity team for the Chief Midwifery Officer Award, which recognises the vital contribution of MSWs in England and their exceptional support of nursing and midwifery practice. The citation said the accolade recognised Theresa's exceptional commitment to enhancing support staff's professional development and elevating their recognition within the maternity unit. Sharon Bagjury, Practice Development Midwife at West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, said Teresa was chosen due to her continued support of the MSWs and maternity care assistance. She is relentless in growing their skills, helping them with their apprenticeships, completing care certificates and continued development of these often underappreciated but core members of the team, said Sharon. She is a hugely valued colleague, and the work she has done to raise the profile and profession <coughs> of the support workers is incredible. Teresa said the presentation had been a surprise. As part of the NHS East of England 60 Steps to Safety initiative, Miss Brintworth was at the hospital to review the service with Wendy Matthews, Regional Chief Midwife and Director of Nursing. Teresa was told she was needed and went along with her notebook, but suddenly she saw a lot of people, including the two chief midwives. She said, When they read the citation, I was shaking. It was so lovely and mentioned so many things about me. Teresa trained as a nursing, a nursery nurse, 
that first linked with West Suffolk Hospital as a volunteer, breastfeeding supporter for five years before joining as a member of staff in 2010. Now, this next one uh, could have been uh, provoked by my last article about the school. Three senior councillors have quit Suffolk County Council's Cabinet and Deputy Cabinet in the wake of last week's scathing report into special education needs and disabilities SEND provision. Rachel Hood, Cabinet Member for SEND, has stepped down alongside James Reader and Chris Chambers. An Ofsted report from last week revealed Suffolk's SEND children were being failed by the County Council service. In their resignation letter, the trio said their positions had become a distraction for the council. Fresh proposals to build six <coughs> new flats near Stowmarket Centre have been refused by planners. Lawrence Home Limited applied to Mid-Suffolk District Council seeking permission to build the new homes in Creeting Road West in the town. The proposed flats were planned to be constructed in the form of a three-storey building at the site where a previous application for a three-storey office block was approved. The office accommodation has not been constructed due to lack of demand in the aftermath of the COVID pandemic and the move to working from home planning document submitted alongside the application said the document added it is considered that the proposed, proposed development of the site with six one-bedroom flats would provide a significant social benefit for the town. Stowmarket Town Council objected to the scheme, saying the homes would be undersized and would be built in a congested area of the town, making accessibility difficult. Mid-Suffolk's planners have now blocked the application, saying... No marketing has taken place to explore different opportunities for commercial use on site. Bury St Edmunds is set to be the home of a new 80-bed care home, which has been approved by planners. West Suffolk Council has approved plans to build the care home as part of the Tafen Road development. In April last year, the council gave the green light for a development of 171 homes in Tafen Road. The care home, which will be run by First Care Homes Berry Limited, will be built towards the front of the 171 home development. The care home will be equipped with 80 rooms, which will be spread across four floors. The bedrooms are positioned in such a way that they optimise their exposure to natural light, planning documents submitted alongside the proposal to the council said. The floor plans split each floor into two wings, with dedicated day and dining spaces in each wing. A separate single-storey training stroke garden room will be built in the enclosed garden grounds, also housing a garden store and toilet. The design and access statement in the planning application said the proposals make a positive contribution to the character and appearance of Tafin Road and the wider master plan and provide a high quality replacement building of an appropriate scale, mass and aesthetic. Cycle stands, a water feature, refuse storage, mobility scooter storage and parking spaces including two electric vehicle charging spaces, two disabled and one ambulance bay are also to be created through the plans. Work on the care home is to, be begin, is to begin within three years. In 2016, the Tafen master plan included plans for a convenience store with one earmarked to be located in the ground floor of one of the nearby flats being built in the Western Homes development. A 10-year-old Newmarket schoolboy <coughs> with a passion for the environment has raised 1,000 to help protect endangered habitats around the world. At the start of 2023, Solomon Brokenshire Dyke, a pupil at All Saints Primary School, decided that he would run 
10 kilometers every week for the whole year to raise money for the charity World Land Trust, which works to fund the creation of reserves and provide permanent worldwide protection for habitats and wildlife. Solomon is very aware of the problems the world is facing and feels a real responsibility to do something about it, said his mother Lorna. He shortlisted about a dozen charities and was very impressed by a video with David Attenborough on World Land Trust homepage, so that was the one he chose. Lorna and Solomon's father James were concerned that he should break up each week's mileage into three or four short runs rather than fewer long runs to protect his joints while he was still growing. He fulfilled the commitment he had made with just one week when he was poorly and we didn't allow him to run, said Lorna. He ran in all weathers, snow, wind, rain and hot summer days, including steep Greek hills while he was on his summer holiday. By the end of the year, Solomon had clocked up 574 kilometres, the equivalent of nearly 14 marathons, but realised he hadn't quite hit his 1,000 fundraising target, so he carried on through January and was set to complete his challenge after school yesterday. On this one occasion, we let him do his first 10k run, which is how he chose to celebrate his achievement, said Lorna. Solomon lives in Berlin Way, Newmarket, with his parents and twin brother Seb, who was born with cerebral palsy and is recovering following a major operation last year. It's been a tough nine months for him, but he's very proud of his brother, as are we all, said Lorna. And I'm sure his parents are really proud of him. What an amazing achievement. And now we come to the letters. And the first one comes from Quentin Cornish, who's chairman of the Bury St Edmunds and Stowmarket Constituency Labour Party. One-time Tory minister George Freeman says he resigned as a minister because he couldn't afford his £2,000 a month mortgage he received a salary of £118,000. How does he think his constituents, many on less than a quarter of his earnings, can afford their mortgage or even their rent? More than one in five families has less than £100 spare each month, according to a new analysis from Bury St Edmunds Labour. Based on research by Nationwide, it reveals the staggering impact of the cost of living crisis on households in West Suffolk District. More than one in five households has less than £100 spare at the end of each month, twice as many as two years ago. Nearly seven out of ten families are more worried about their finances than last year, as energy bills have risen 63%, petrol stroke diesel by 39%, food by 32%, rent by 26% and mortgages by 22%. In autumn 2022, the Conservative government crashed the British economy, unleashing runaway inflation and soaring mortgages. That kamikaze budget followed more than a decade of low growth rooted in the Tories' cruel policy of austerity. The cost of living crisis is still hammering people in West Suffolk. The Conservatives are too busy fighting each other to notice, but for those of us in the real world, the toxic combination of high tax, low growth and stagnant wages with rising prices, rents and mortgages has left local families with less money at the end of every month. First they crashed the British economy, now, this government has simply given up governing. Labour has a plan to get Britain growing again. We would kick-start growth by stabilising the economy, backing British business and making work pay. It's time to turn the page on more than a decade of Tory failure. It's time for a general election. It's time for Labour. And my first letter is from Glynis Horton of Bury St Edmunds and she heads her letter Air Quality Data Focuses on UK Lockdown Period. 
It seems clear from the recent articles in the Berry Free Press that many residents are worried and greatly distressed by the state of the roads in our town and that air quality and noise pollution are concerns. Potholes and damaged surfaces on the roads are routinely being caused by HGVs, excessive traffic and flooding, issues which are the responsibility of Suffolk County Council. However, a recent lorry route review carried out by Suffolk County Council stated that there was no evidence of HGV collisions to road infrastructure warranting change to the road layout and that no air quality issues on the recommended lorry route map were found. They stated that they were unable to quantify any damage to highways caused by HGV movements and said that no severe issues were raised. They concluded that the existing HGV 7.5-tonne weight restrictions were suitable and proportionate. With respect to HGV air quality issues, the report states that the County Council viewed the 2021 Annual Air Quality Status Report, which monitors air quality in West Suffolk, and found that no air quality issues were raised. As the 2021 Annual Status Report is based on 2020 air quality data, a time when the country was in lockdown due to the pandemic and traffic activity was at a minimum, it is perhaps not surprising that no air quality issues were found. The County Council also received feedback on the lorry route view from 149 local councils across Suffolk. This appears to be a yet another cynical exercise from Suffolk County Council trying to appear as if they are doing something but doing nothing to address issues of concern, while at the same time costing the taxpayer a great deal of time, effort, resources and money. No wonder Suffolk County Council feel that they cannot afford to maintain the heritage of Berry St Edmunds and retain their historical documents in the record office when, yet again, they have wasted so much. There has been much debate about the closure of the Berry St Edmunds record office and this letter emphasises that from Joanna Martin in Sudbourne. Whilst on-the-day production of documents at The Hold will be welcomed, Councillor Bennett must be aware that this is precisely what we had in the archives in Ipswich and Bury St Edmunds before 2020. What we have not been told is whether there is enough room at The Hold to store all the documents from Bury, and if there is room now, how long will this last? How long will it be before we have to order records a week in advance again because they are stored somewhere on the other side of Ipswich? The publication of records online will be welcomed by many. Suffolk is behind many other counties in this respect, but I won't hold my breath where improved transport links and parking facilities are concerned. And my next letter rather leads on to, to the last one. Um, and it's written by Alan Murdy, and he actually now lives in Edinburgh, but obviously used to live in our area, and he heads his letter, Municipal Monopoly. Whilst no longer resident in Berries and Edmunds myself, it is a matter of great concern, such a valuable local and national resource, such as the Berries and Edmunds Record Office is being axed, allegedly on grounds of costs. The preservation of public records is a statutory duty and the County Council needs to be wary of not opening itself up to legal challenges. Moreover, the quoted savings do not seem proportionate, especially since any relocation and centralisation at Ipswich is inevitably likely to carry unforeseen costs. Over the last 20 years, this part of the town has suffered a series of closures, sell-offs and threatened disposals of public assets. They have included Manor House Museum, the former County Council offices, now the Premier Inn, and the Magistrates' Court. The winners in each case being selected private interests. 
Is there already a private buyer in mind for the record office site? If one is already being contemplated, then the whole idea of closure is clearly deserving of independent scrutiny from the monitoring officer for Suffolk County Council and the district auditor. Suffolk taxpayers deserve better than a game of municipal monopoly, which has occurred here in the last two decades. Now this talks about Compiègne Way, which used to be Water Meadows. This comes from Trevor Scolding in Bury St Edmunds. Back in about 1942, I was a pupil at the Fefment School and used to used the cellars at the Green King Brewery as an air raid shelter. As part of our nature lessons, our class walked down Friars Lane to the water meadows in the Westgate area, locally stroke historically known as the Butts. This was accessed via footpaths where we studied tadpoles, minnows, etc., all across the area over which Cullum Road was subsequently built. These water meadows extended from what is now Compiègne Way to the Spread Eagle. I am therefore not surprised at the latest instance of flooding in these areas. I own my own business from 1963 in Tafen Road, and both my business and Warner's Transport experience flooding yearly during periods of high rainfall. By definition, the road name Tafen refers to <clears throat> a low and marshy or frequently flooded area of land. So why build houses there and create further pressure on the drainage systems in this area? With more extreme weather events forecast due to global warming, this will only add to the flooding risks in the area. I would also like to express my disappointment at the decision to close the records office in Raingate Street. After I retired, I assisted my friend's son to complete some research for a project for County Upper School relating to Bury St Edmunds during World War II. <clears throat> On my way home from school, <clears throat> I had witnessed a B-17 bomber returning from a raid over Germany that was hit by a fighter plane. The fuselage descended straight into what is now the mermaid pits used by the sugar factory in Hollow Road. Visiting the records office and looking at the archives provided a much better understanding of the actual experience than using an internet search engine. Closure of these spaces, including libraries, are contributing to the obesity epidemic as children are not required to move and see their phones as the answer to everything. Uh, my next letter is from Lynn Gray and she is, uh, lives in Sudbury. And she says, so what have you missed? The handout with the EADT of January the 31st was later in life, inspiring ideas to keep mind and body active. How could you not recognise the value of the many U3A groups across our county? We are by far the biggest organisation in most towns. Here in Sudbury, we have 900 members and 80 different interest groups to join. A monthly meeting with a professional speaker, holiday opportunities, walking and games such as table tennis to keep us moving. At only £12 a year, we are the best value around. Giving opportunities to meet, socialise and learn for people no longer in full-time work or caring duties, there is a place for everyone. Why not come and visit us, or better still, come on East Anglian Daily Times, write a feature and encourage more of our population to share our lifestyle whilst having fun. A past myth is around the U3A title University of the Third Age, which allowed people to think having or studying for a degree is part of it. Well, wrong, it's not. You read my letter, so it's up to you now. My next letter is from the New Market Journal. <clears throat> the writer's name and address have been supplied but are not shown here. Restrictions are needed on this stretch of road. I really can't understand why there aren't any parking restrictions in place of in the front of TK Maxx and between the high street and the store. 
Cars and vans park on the slope approaching the shop, causing an obstruction. Surely that is an offence. Cars struggle to get past. Emergency vehicles would have no chance squeezing beside the parked vehicles and the bollards. Then cars park on the pavement and to the right-hand side by the memorial. The former affects pedestrians and results in people and children crossing the road and not being visible to car drivers. It's always touch and go if cars can squeeze by all these obstructions and involves doing a slalom that a skier would be proud of. It's an accident waiting to happen. Surely some double yellow lines and restrictions are required. Colin Rossini <coughs> from Dover Court <coughs> writes, XL Bully Dogs. After the latest, latest attack by the so-called American bully dogs killing a grandmother in Jaywick, I'm not buying that nonsense that the animal's fatal behaviour is attributed to irresponsible ownership. I'm a caring and responsible dog owner, but bully dogs are a step too far. How many members of the public and their dogs get to be mauled to death before the cold fat emerges that they are not suitable as pets. I have listened to all the media discussions on this issue regarding training and am convinced that the breed's nature prohibits ownership on the proven grounds that proof of safety is piled against it. The government legislation on the US bully dogs is woefully weak and is being largely ignored by the majority of owners. These are not bureaucratic indiscretions, but a reflection of a problem. Only a comprehensive ban is needed for the good of all concerned. Now, my last letter is from Clifford Davy in Stowmarket. One of the pleasures of being in town is the search through charity shops. <clears throat> so coming across a book which promised growing old without growing up, I thought, that's for me. Opening the book, I read, You wear sensible shoes with silly socks. Too true. My black lace-up footwear? Sensible. My socks? One with the design of chips, French fries. The other showing tomato sauce. The perfect picture. I purchased the book and amused the lady serving by exposing the socks. And we're going to finish the letter section this week with two short contributions. <coughs> and the first one is from Janet Douglas from Framlingham. And she writes, Pharmacists can help a lot. How fantastic that pharmacists will be able to treat our minor illnesses and we won't have to wait to be seen in our doctor's surgery. I waited all day for 101 to ring me back on Saturday because our surgery is closed on Saturdays by which time the chemists were shut. If only I had been able to see the pharmacist earlier in the day. I'm just concerned that our brilliant pharmacist is going to be overworked. And lastly, a letter from Clifford Davy from Stowmarket. Farewell, Pike. He may have been a stupid boy, and he made us laugh time and again. Ian Lavender made Pike an unforgettable character during the golden age of TV comedy. Dad's army will continue to march on. And Pike, annoying, main-wearing as ever, thank goodness, in lavender, R.I.P. Now I have uh, a weekly opinion column written by Mark Murphy who says, slow down the march of progress, think about people, not profits. We used to call them a hole in the wall back in the day, but today that's just what they are, a hole in the wall. I'm referring, of course, to cash points at banks, both of which seem to be disappearing at an alarming rate of knots. I bank at Barclays, and a few months ago I wanted to pay a cheque in. Yes, some people still use cheques. When I got there, I found two blokes bricking up the hole in the wall and the branch closed. Now, luckily for me, I have a car, and I work in Ipswich, so I was able to go into the branch in Princess Street and pay it in. A little inconvenient for me, but what if I hadn't got transport? I'm no Luddite. I use my mobile, ba mobile banking app, but for some people it's just not appropriate. Yes, more people are using this way of banking, 
but we're leaving some folks um, behind here. Those who, for whatever reason, and there are many of them, are not able to do this are at a distinct disadvantage. I can scan a cheque to pay in, but I don't because I don't trust the technology to do it properly. I would much rather hand it over the cash to the cashier behind their counter and know it was safely deposited. The one thing my Barclays app can't do is allow me to pay in cash. As hard as I try, I can't find anywhere to shove it into my mobile phone. Cash isn't dead. For some people, it's all they have. And last time I looked, it's still legal tender. If you haven't got much money, and believe you me, I can remember what that's like, cash is a good way of budgeting. If you haven't got it, you can't spend it. I am now the chief executive officer of a local cancer charity. We regularly get donations paid to us in cash or cheques. Thankfully, we're based in Ipswich, and we can nip into a branch to pay it in. But what if we weren't? It would mean a goodness knows how long round trip to the nearest big town to pay it in. How do shopkeepers in some of these small towns cope? Gone are the days where you could nip down to the local branch and pay in the day's takings. We are rapidly losing that personal banking service where you could go into a branch and talk face-to-face with a member of staff. They would offer you help and advice on all manner of things. Yes, that's still available online, but not with the personal touch we once had. It's just like the sketch from Little Britain. Computer says no. What about all the jobs we're losing in the banking industry? When I left school, so many of my former classmates went into banking, but with so few branches left, that career avenue has all but gone locally. You can walk along any high street and look at the number of former bank buildings. There are loads of them, now converted into all manner of different uses. These days, it's all about profit, not people. It's the same with supermarket checkouts disappearing as quickly as bank branches. Technology is taking our jobs. With the event, the advent of artificial intelligence, or AI, this is just the start. I dare say if I went onto an AI site and said, write me a column about bank closures, it would. And by the way, I haven't. So what's my message to bankers? Slow down. The march of progress doesn't have to be so fast. Think of people and not profits. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can always put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose most pages have items have been taken. And just before we sign off, uh, just a reminder of the telephone number we promised you, because if you do wish to contact the Citizens Advice Consumer Service, the number is 0808-223-1133. So news, back, news Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Sheila and Peter, Neil and Sue, it is... Goodbye. Goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St. Edmunds studio.